0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to Colossians chapter 2. We've been in our series in Colossians. And as we uh, open up into Colossians chapter 2, I first of all just want to express my appreciation to uh, Larry uh, preaching last week. We had an exposure there with the staff. And so, because of that, uh, we're in a position where uh, our staff was uh, having to isolate and quarantine. But uh, really appreciate the rest of everyone just being a part. And I forgot, kids 4th through 6th grade can be dismissed. You know, in the first service, they just got up and walked out. And I'm like, oh yeah, that can happen. So, kids 4th through 6th grade. It's like, oh good, we don't have listen, Pastor Tori. But I do, I really appreciate Larry uh, stepping in and and, uh, sharing From Colossians 2 and and there was a verse that he shared there in Colossians 2 look at verse number 8 verse number 8 it says be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ not based on Jesus Christ If you remember, when we started this series in Colossians, I made mention of the fact that you can oftentimes tell what a spiritual belief system is about by really finding out the answer to two questions. Number one, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Do people believe that Jesus Christ truly is God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he redeemed us by his death at the cross, and that he rose again? Do you believe that? And then the second question is, is how do you get to heaven? How does a person get to heaven? And and again, it comes back to it has to be by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And anytime we see Jesus plus, anytime we see Jesus plus, then there's going to be a significant issue, a significant problem going on. In fact, it's interesting because I, I know a good number of Catholic friends that I would tell you from the get-go, I am firmly convinced, at least some of them, that I know have a personal, living, breathing faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, the official Catholic Church in the Vatican, what has come down from that, has been something that's radically different. In fact, in response to Martin Luther, when Martin Luther came out with his 95 Theses, in which time Martin Luther said, hey... It's salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus, they're like, wait, wait, time out. Absolutely not. And finally, they issued this response at the Council of Trent, clear back in the 1500s. Listen to the fourth canon. It says, if anyone says that the sacraments of the new law are not necessary unto salvation, the sacraments being baptism, confirmation, communion, penance, Uh, marriage or holy orders or last rites, the anointing of the sick, if those are not necessary unto salvation, but superfluous, and that without them or without the desire thereof, men obtain from God through faith alone the grace of justification, though all of the sacraments are not necessary for every individual, let him be excommunicated. Let him be an anathema. And the thought there was that, no, these things have to be attached to Jesus. They were, as they define them, means of divine grace. And so anytime we live in a world or a culture that says, I need Jesus plus something to be acceptable to God, we're in trouble. That's something that you should, your antenna should go up. But, you know, I've seen a trend that's gone on, especially in my years of being a lead pastor, of which a person says, yes, I'm saved. I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. I'm trusting in Jesus. And yet they're saying, but in order for me to be, uh, to, to be approved by God, to get his approval, to get the pat on the back, I have to do a set of right and wrong do's and don'ts. And so I see a lot of Christians that are saying, well, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I follow this, then I'm going to be okay in God's eyes. On the flip side, they say, well, if I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I don't follow this, and I don't act this way, then I'm not going to be okay in God's eyes. To the point where some people even question their salvation. And so the Apostle Paul has had somebody come into this church at Colossae. And again, if you remember, he's never been to this church, but he's gotten the report back. There's this thing going on in there that is saying it's Jesus plus. It's Jesus plus. And he says, I just want to nip that in the bud right now. And so in verse 8 he makes that statement. Be careful that no one takes you captive, that you become a prisoner through philosophy, empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. And now as we pick it up at verse 16, he lays out three areas where this has specifically been happening. And so whether it's one person trying to spread this false gospel or whether it's a belief system that had crept into this church, we don't know. But here are three specific areas that Paul says, wait, time out. It's not good. So let's pick it up at verse 16. He says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. Let no one disqualify you insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons develops with growth from God. So within that section I just read, that paragraph There's the first two that Paul says, wait, hold on, time out, don't go there. And the first one in 16, it says what? Don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Again, we don't know a lot about who these false teachers were. But based upon the evidence, one thing seems to be clear is that there was a Jewish flavor with it. There was a Jewish flavor with it, and the person must have come in and said, no, you can't eat pork. No, you can't eat uh, lobster. You can't eat crab legs. You can't eat, you know, fill in the blanks. Notice all the good things that I like on the backside there, lobster, crab, legs, shrimp. But they're like, no, you can't eat that. And not, not only that, but you can't drink that. And then they're like, hey, by the way, you need to keep the Sabbath still. You need to come Friday night, you need to shut it down, and then you need to wait until sundown on Saturday, and then you can go ahead and you can resume life. And and so whatever this thought process was, they were trying to add their rules and regulations. That's what was going on. Notice Paul's response. He says, that's but a shadow. That's but a shadow. In fact, we're going to see in just a couple of seconds that that shadow was from the Old Testament that was given. In fact, Paul in Galatians says the law was given to show that we can't keep it. The law was given to show that we can't keep it because we're sinners. And so Jesus the Messiah has to be our answer. And so he says, don't chase after the shadow, but chase after the one that has true substance. And who is that? He says, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who has substance. It's interesting how Paul breaks the argument out. He makes the statement. He says how that they're telling to to control you. And then he says, "And, and why shouldn't you? And in this case, he says, they're just a shadow. It's just these lists of do's and don'ts isn't the real substance. It isn't the reality. It's truly not Jesus. And so the first principle that we see here is what? That my life in Christ frees me to live an authentic life. That when I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I am free to live in him. That I'm free to live in Jesus. And that it's not a list of do I do enough to be acceptable in God's eyes? Have I done enough to be okay with him? It's this idea that, you know, okay, you know, God, I know I've trusted in Jesus, but, but, but I need to keep, you know, A, B, C, D in order for you to say, okay, I'm still good with you. Or, hmm, I can't believe you're like that, Tori. And Paul says, no, those are nothing more than just a shadow. That when you chase after that stuff, you're going to become weary chasing after a shadow that you can never catch. But if you pursue after Jesus... There's freedom there. There's freedom there. In fact, it's interesting. In Acts 15, it's been an interesting dynamic. What's happened today was that Peter received a vision, went to Cornelius, shared the gospel, Uh, To the Gentiles, and and they came to faith in Christ. Then Paul and Barnabas, they go, they start proclaiming the gospel. Other Gentiles come to faith in Christ. And so it's incredible because it's gone from, from the Jews to the Samaritans, clear out to the Gentiles. The gospel is going to the world, just like it was proclaimed that Jesus said. But then at the beginning of Acts 15, it says, But some Jews. We're telling the Gentiles that they had to be circumcised and follow the law in order to be saved. And so this big council developed at Jerusalem at which Peter's the one who stood up and Peter said, wait, guys, hold on. I had this revealed to me first through Cornelius. It wasn't Paul and Barnabas, it was me. And look at what Peter says here in Acts 15. He says, and God, who knows the heart, testified to them, to the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now look at this. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? Why are you putting on the Gentiles all these rules and regulations when we couldn't even keep them? And that's where we see Paul writing out later on in Galatians saying, the law was shown that we can't keep it, that we can't save ourselves. And so we need Jesus the Messiah to save us. And so here was Peter coming to Paul and Barnabas' defense saying, you know what, we can't put a bunch of rules and regs on people. It's being in Christ Jesus. Later on in the book of Romans, Paul writes in Romans 14, he brings out this dynamic of convictions and that some people, maybe of Jewish faith, will continue to keep the Sabbath. Other people that are not, that are Gentiles, may not keep the Sabbath. Some may eat certain foods. Others may not eat certain foods. But the point is, what is your motivation And you cannot take your convictions and shove them on somebody else. And unfortunately, we live in a culture today where it's really easy to do that, isn't it? Well, I do this, I do this, I do this. So therefore, in order for you to be holy and look like Jesus, you have to do what I do. So you have to not drink. You have to eat. You have to read the Bible a certain way. You have to... You know, make sure that you do this and you pray this way. And and if you're not doing those things, then you're doing it wrong. And obviously, God hasn't accepted you. Look what Paul responds with in Romans. Look at this passage. He says, Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Did you catch that center part? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of rule-keeping, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where do all of those things happen? Inwardly. Inwardly. It's not this outward matter of eating and drinking. But there's been an inward change. And so my life in Christ frees me to live an authentic life. It frees me to live an authentic life. And, and what is the application to that? Here in the 21st century, 2021, what's the application to that? As a follower of Jesus Christ, living my life in him is liberating and it is not enslaving. Living my life in him, in Jesus Christ, is actually freeing and liberating and it's not enslaving. The hardship is, I would guess every single one of us have grown up with certain rules and regulations and traditions that we were like, wow. I don't think that was in the Bible. Let me, let me throw a few of them out there for you. How many of you, when you were growing up, and this may be my generation on up, how many of you growing up um, having a, a pack of playing cards was taboo. For me, it was. So we had rook cards. Did you know you can play poker with rook cards? Found that out at Moody Bible Institute, of all places. <laughs> Go figure. How many of you growing up, bowling alleys were taboo? Because we know what goes on at bowling alleys. How about that issue of, or that dynamic of, of, of dancing? How about that issue of what we wear? I mean, as far as, you know, women, you have to have dresses and they've got to be below the knee. And guys, you need to wear slacks. You need to wear, you know, you need to wear ties. You need to, you know, have your hair off your ears. You know, how many of you grew up with some of that? I did. You know, there's other things out there that, that if we're not careful, we can jump onto and it becomes, um, it can become, again, legalism. There is a a church group out there that they call themselves King James Preservation. King James only. And what they say is that the English translation has only been preserved and is inerrant, inspired, only in the King James translation. That 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 the King James is the only translation that has preserved God's word. Now, I agree there's some bad translations out there. I agree that as translations go through changes and editing, that sometimes they go over the edge. As a church, about five years ago, we made a decision to stop using one translation and going to another one because we felt like that translation had gone over the edge. But to say that it's only the King James Version, that's scary and dangerous. We, we've seen this now for years And it's not just in the 21st century, it was in the 20th century, and it was clear back. I want you to know that this next one has been around since at least I know of through the 1500s in Isaac Watts. Music. Music. Heaven forbid that you would have a set of drums, even though the Psalms talk about having drums and tambourines. We don't even have a tambourine. Do we have a tambourine? Somewhere we got a tambourine. We haven't used it in time I've been here. But even just this week, I read a fairly prominent pastor of a denomination at a conference saying that all the music being written today is no good and it should be nothing but the hymns and the psalter. I'm sorry. But nowhere in scripture can he defend that. In fact, we see that Paul says that We are to make music in our heart with with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We see both in the Psalms in the book of Revelation that it says, make a new song to the Lord, sing a new song to the Lord. And so when we start getting these things that we like to call, you know, these are, you know, this is where it's at, and this is this is what's fundamentally sound. Anytime we start doing that, and you cannot base it on solid scripture, we are on thin ice. And it becomes this list of I have to do it this way and this way and this way and this way in order for God to look at me as acceptable. That's not the Christian life, folks. Just the opposite. What I see is that being in Christ Jesus is liberating. Now, I want to tell you right now, should we be in God's word? Absolutely. Should we be in prayer? Absolutely. Should we be singing quality music? Absolutely. It's one thing I love about Clinton's and his heart is that the music that is chosen and selected, it is vertical in nature. It is God-honoring, and that is a necessity. But this list of you've got to do it this way, in this time, and this particular function, we've got to be incredibly careful with that because those flirt to that edge of man-made. And so the first principle, my life in Christ frees me to live an authentic life, a genuine life, a a life that this is what Christ has done in me and through me. And the application to that is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, living my life in him, it should be liberating and not enslaving. That's the first thing we see. As we move on, look at verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you. The idea of you've been running a race and because you've broken their rules, you are now disqualified from the race. You've now, you're out of the race. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on aesthetic practices and the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his uh, unspiritual, the word there is fleshly, by his fleshly mind. I wish the word fleshly would have stayed in there. By his fleshly mind, he doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. And so the next thing he says, he says, people are now saying, well, you've been disqualified because you're not doing these things and you have not received visions from angels. And so this vi- these, they've received these visions from angels. They're now elevating angels to this higher level of receiving some kind of divine message. Now, I don't know about you, but if I get the chance to hear from the creator or to hear from his creation, I'm going to choose the creator every time. And yet here they are saying, we're going to listen to God's creation. And so if this angel, we, we have received this message, this vision from an angel they're like, well, this must be gospel truth. It's interesting in 1 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we see these words that Paul writes. He says, Don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. How do we test all things? How does it jive with Scripture? How does it jive, in Paul's case, with what they had already heard from Paul and from Peter and from Barnabas, from Matthew? Does it jive with the words of the disciples? And so, test all things. And yet, here they were, this church at Colossae, that was saying, well, we're going to start worshiping angels because we're getting divine messages. Folks, John mentions it. Clear down in 1 John, he says, test the spirits. Make sure that what you're hearing is from God. That is legit. In fact, the term that I put out here was, we don't need to be out in the weeds with the weird stuff. Sorry, that's just the way I, f- I framed it. We don't need to be chasing after things out in the weeds with the weird stuff. Instead, look at what he says. He says that these people have a problem because they're using a fleshly mind. Look at verse 19. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished, held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the church. And who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. And so he is saying they're not holding on to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Instead, they're holding on to the angels and supposedly some spiritual message they divinely received. They're out in the weeds. You know, we still have churches and denominations that are out in the weeds. In my time that I have been a lead pastor, there have been things that have called, been called holy laughter. There's been holy barking. I am not lying to you, holy barking, where supposedly the Spirit has filled them and they start barking like a dog. In Lakeland, Florida, and in Redding, California, there's been, quote-unquote, a glory cloud of gold glitter that has come down. Nowhere in Scripture can I think you can defend that. And those are things that I think are are used to sway people into a belief that is not accurate to who Jesus is and what he is wanting to do. Instead, Paul says, we need to hold on to firmly Jesus, the head of the church, from whom the whole body, nourished, held together by its ligaments and tendons. That's why the church is so important. That's why it's so important that the church hangs on to good truth. Because if we do not hold on to truth then what we see is we see all of a sudden we start shifting and we start moving and we get tossed like a boat on a storm and we don't have a firm anchor. Jesus has to be our firm anchor. Scripture, God's word, has to be our firm anchor. And if it doesn't jibe with Scripture, it is out in the weeds. And we need to say no. That's not where we need to be. And so what is that second principle? My life in Christ provides what I need to spiritually grow. My life in Christ. What is my life in Christ to be about? It's to be about being in his word. It's about having a a solid, good, healthy prayer life. It's about being a part of a church body. Again, I want to challenge you that you would say, I want to be committed to being in church. And it's not because it's a list of, oh, I got to be in church three out of four Sundays. Or I got to be in church, you know, six out of eight Sundays. No, it's the idea that this is part of my life in Christ and it provides what I need to grow. That it's here that when I'm struggling, people will pray with me. It's here when I'm really wrestling with truth that God reveals it to me through his word. It's here that I have a chance to worship, not just individually, but corporately. And so being involved and engaged in a church, I think, is so important. I think one of Satan's greatest tactics in that season of COVID was making church optional for Christians. Making it optional. We can watch church on video. Church is not something we watch. Church is something we are a part of. We are an organism. And if people are not here, we are like missing body parts. And eventually, a body that is missing parts is handicapped. And so, Paul is saying, I need to have my life in Christ because it provides what I need to spiritually grow. So, what's the application? The application is that anything that does not ring true to God, to his nature, Or his word should not be a part of my spiritual life. I will say this, and I went on record in the first service. If we are not proclaiming truth from God's word about who he is, about his nature and his word, if we are not doing that here at Creekside Bible Church, you need to leave. You need to run as far from this church as possible. I would actually add you need to confront the leadership and then you need to leave. Because if we're not standing on the foundation of God, his nature, and his word, then we have, we're, we're giving you nothing. But if we are standing on that, we are giving you the very substance that what life is all about. That's what Paul is saying here. He's like, you're chasing after the wind, folks. You're chasing after shadows. If you go after these visions from angels. He has one more. One more challenge. Look at verse 20. He says, if you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of the world, it's kind of an if then. If you've died to the Messiah, that is if you've trusted in Christ as your Savior, and you've died to the elemental forces of this world, you could add the word then. Then why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. You see all these rules and regs. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch and then you'll be okay. That's what, they're ta- that's what they're saying. That's what the false teachers were saying. Look at what Paul says. He says, all these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of men. Remember where we started in verse 8? What did he say? In verse 8, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty deceit, based on human tradition. Based on the elemental forces of the world. Don't run after man made traditions. But chase after Jesus. Run to Jesus. Look at this. Look how he finishes. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices, humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self indulgence. He says, You can restrict your diet to nothing but vegetables. You can go ahead and you can drink nothing but water because they're telling you to do that. They're telling you that you only have five hours of sleep and then you've got to get up at 5 a.m. and you're going to pray until this amount of time and then you're going to go out and work the fields, and then you're going to come back home and from 7 to 12 you're going to pray some more. And basically Paul is saying there's all these things. He says, you want to know what that really is? In the 21st century we have a title for that, a term for that. It's called behavior modification. It's this idea that let's change our outward behavior, and then our inside is okay. No. And that's why we see people struggling. People with addictive uh, uh, issues. What happens is with behavior modification, they build these barriers around this particular issue that they've got. And they're like, see, I don't have that problem anymore. The problem is, is they've just handed, they've switched off addictions, I've seen that so many times that they've moved from this addiction over to this addiction. Because it's behavior modification. It's outward. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, Jesus offers you something different. Look at what he says. He says, if you've died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to it? why do you still live like you belong to the world? That's that's behavior modification. Why do you submit to these regulations? And he's like, all they do is a list of do's and don'ts that say, this is what makes you okay. And so what he's trying to say is this. He's saying that the third thought, the third principle is my life in Christ offers me an inside out transformation. That Jesus Christ changes my heart. And when he changes my heart, then the outer part, he can continue to transform. He will continue to transform. A day-by-day, moment-by-moment process. Sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. In fact, Jesus really hammered this home. We don't have time to turn there, but write down Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 14 and 15, let me read it to you. It says, summoning the crowd, Jesus told them, told the crowd, listen to me. All of you, and understand, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him. But the things, the things that come out of a person, his heart are what defile him. And so then the disciples later on, a few minutes later, said, hey, Jesus, we didn't get that parable. And Jesus said, it's not a parable. It's a principle. He's like, whatever you take in, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, it's going to be eliminated out of your system in 24 hours. He said, that's not the issue, whether you eat pork or not. He says, the issue is what comes out of the heart. He says, because what comes out of the heart, that's where you see the problem of sin. And unless Jesus transforms the heart, we do not have true transformation. And so that's why I think we see a lot of people that are churchgoers that check the boxes and they're like, hey, why is my life not, not, not more abundant? Jesus said he'd give me an abundant life. And, and, it, and it may be because they're doing all these outward things, but they've never truly ever said, Jesus, I need you to transform me, to save me. Jesus, I'm trusting in you to be my savior. I'm trusting in you to be my advocate, to be my mediator. That's what Jesus said. He said, I have those. He, he is right now, folks. He right now is your mediator right now he is your advocate first john chapter 2 so that Jesus is at work in your life right now if you're a follower of Jesus Christ now one of the problems that happens is that anytime you speak on something like this and we deal with legalism people have a tendency to fall over on the side of what i call license and that is oh that means i can do whatever i want i don't have to read my bible oh i don't need to pray i don't need to go to church I don't don't need any of that stuff because Jesus has saved me. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying living a life of true liberty in Christ actually is walking a tightrope where we don't do these things because we have to. We spend time in God's word because we want to. We pray to the Lord because our heart desires to, to, to talk to him. We come to church, not because my, my parents made me or my spouse made me or, or my kids made me come to church. I come to church because I want to worship the living God and I want to do it with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we see the difference? Legalism says I have to. License says I don't have to do anything. Liberty says I want to. Jesus, because you died For me, I want to live for you. Can I say that one more time? Jesus, because you laid down your life for me, I want to live my life for you. I want to. Because you've transformed my heart, you've given me life, you've given me freedom, you've given me hope. So I want to know you and I want to read your Bible. I want to hear from you. I want to spend time talking to you. I want to worship you with other brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to grow in that relationship because of what you did for me. Do we see it? Here was Paul trying to really, really come down and saying, you know what? It's not a bunch of. I have to do this, especially stuff that's out in the weeds that wasn't accurate. But he's also saying it doesn't give you freedom just to not do anything. The picture is that we are in Christ Jesus. So let's live for Christ Jesus. So what's the application? As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to march to the beat of his drum and not some man-made set of rituals, rules, and you could have added the word regulations. We march to the beat of Jesus. We stay in step with Jesus, in tune with him, so that we live for him. Thanks for hearing me. Let's pray.